From Kent School in Connecticut, I'm Matt Austin with Troubles Going, a day early. Today, Father Albin Riley from Westminster Abbey in British Columbia talks about ringing in community. After that, a few notes about the North American Guild AGM. Father Albin Riley, welcome to Troubles Going. Thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so I'm speaking to you, you're in British Columbia now, but um, I understand you grew up in Ontario, is that right? That's right, Kingston, Ontario. All right, and um, I don't know, what, what were you like as a kid? Were you a sporty kid? Were you a, a nerd in school? Were you a drama kid, a music kid? Well, I was more of the nerd kind, I think I would say, yeah. Like I was, I was good at school and didn't get much involved in sports. And you're, you're a teacher now, is that right? You teach? That's right, right? yeah. What, what do you teach? Okay, well, it, it varies from year to year. This year, I'm going to be uh, teaching um, uh, history of liturgy, patristics, and w- comparative world religions, mm-hmm. and also in the novitiate, uh, teaching liturgy there. And so now, people may have picked up on a few clues here, so so maybe we should pull back the curtain. Um, you are, in fact, yes. Father Alvin Riley, and you're teaching at a seminary. Um, in- That's right. At Westminster Abbey. And I'm in a monastery. Yes, that's right. I'm in a monastery. Right. Um, so it's Westminster Abbey out in Mission, British Columbia. I, I want to ask, because this is something that always interests me. Um, I, I'm wondering how, as a, as a kid and then you know, coming up through your teenage and early years, not, not really what your call to vocation was, although if, if you're interested in sharing that, I'm, I'm glad to hear, um, but how you came to, to become aware of living in religious community as as a thing that is still done these days? You know, did you grow up around um, yes. some friary or something? Okay. No, I didn't grow up around a religious community, uh, but I was just aware of it because we were a Catholic family and we, you just know about the religious life, at least you did at that time. And uh, so I was only aware of monasticism uh, uh, from my studies of history rather than having visited a monastery itself. And um, and it just uh, struck me one day. Well, why not you? And uh, and I started to do research and and uh, wrote to various places. And I ended up here in British Columbia. And did you um, forgive me for asking? But did was it in the family also? I mean, you know, I think of my I have Sister Pat and Sister Mary in my family. I'm also growing up Catholic. Um, was that something? Uh, there, nothing. Nothing close. I ha- I ha- I had a great. Aunt, who was a religious in Austria, and actually, your family—did you say your family's from Germany originally? Uh, we're uh, my father was English and my mother was German, and I was born in Germany, but we moved to Canada when I was young. Okay, so then coming coming off to seminary um, and then becoming ordained was that was that actually over? Did you say you came to British Columbia? That was at Westminster Abbey. That's that's where you've been. That's right. Yes. Okay. So, you, so you're teaching comparative religion and patristics, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot what else. And uh, so, so comparative religion, patristics, history of liturgy, uh, and um, and 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 liturgy for the novices of the monastery. All right, and and for those who may not be aware, would you mind sort of walking us through what the what the life cycle looks like? If I if I were young and I or I'm sorry, if I'm at any stage of my life and yeah. I, I think I've got a calling to live in religious community and I, and I get some information, what, what do those big steps look like? You know, novitiate and ordination and... Um, okay, uh, so 
so that the beginning is you're just inquiring and then if you if you are interested you can you can come to the monastery and live there as a postulant somebody who's asking uh and that's a flexible period it can be short or it can be long depending on what your experience is with that community mm-hmm. and then uh then you enter the novitiate which is a year uh, of 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 trying the vocation of seeing whether it's for you and and for the community to see whether you are for them so to speak uh and then after a year of novitiate you can after the community votes positively on you you can make uh what are called temporary vows or simple vows your first vows mm-hmm. uh with benedictines it's a vow of uh obedience uh fidelity to the monastic life and stability and uh fidelity to the monastic way of life includes poverty and chastity mm-hmm. Uh, and then you make you make those vows for a period of three years, and at the end of that, you can you're voted on again by the chapter, by the community, and you can make your solemn vows, which last for your whole life. Right. And if if you wouldn't mind, um, I think many people are probably familiar with vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. Um, but but the vow of stability, um, that's yes, that's one that I think is unusual. So yeah, would you mind going into what that covers? That's right. So stability is pretty unique to the Benedictines, uh, to those who follow the rule of St. Benedict, I should say. And uh, it's, um, it means that the monastery where you make your profession becomes your home for life. You stay there. You don't go, uh, you aren't transferred from one place to another as you are in, in many, in many uh, places, in many uh, religious institutions. Um, and uh, you may be sent out to study or to um, uh, or to do business or something like that, but you always come back to your monastery as your home. And you, and you, of course, you mentioned the rule of Saint Benedict and referred to yourself as a Benedictine. Um, that's right. You know, that's that's the particular order to which you are professed. Um, that's right. For, for those who, and I'd include myself here, um, aren't aren't strongly familiar with um, the rule of Saint Benedict. What what are those that set it apart from, say, being a, I don't know, a Dominican or a Franciscan or Okay, so Saint Benedict was uh, uh, lived in Italy in the sixth century, and he wrote a rule, uh, which uh, over the centuries has proved to be very uh, fruitful and and uh, adopted by many monasteries. Uh, and that's the important thing: it's monastic. So the uh, it's not like friars, like the Dominicans or or Franciscans. It's not like a modern religious order like the Jesuits or or a congregation like the uh, Salesians. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not centralized. The, the the basic unit is the monastery, and as I say, you you remain in the monastery for your life. And the order to which you belong, this is a cloistered order. Is that right? Um, I would I would call it. Um, it's not cloistered in the sense that that some women's orders are cloistered where where nobody can go. Uh, go out or or, or in, uh, except under pain of excommunication and that sort of thing. But rather, it's a it's a monastic order where you you your your monastery is uh, is your there's an enclosure, there's an area in the monastery where nobody else can go, but mm-hmm. you can go out and you can do uh, things apostolic things like preach in a parish or, or something like that. Does the does the abbey? I should ask. Does the abbey welcome visitors or is it? Um, oh yes, yep. yes. Of course, during this COVID time, it's a bit different. But of course, nor- yeah. normal. Normally, we we have our our guest house. We have a guest house 
where people come to stay for retreats or quiet times or whatever, uh, and they uh, and they join us for prayer and, and so on if they wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also we're in a sort of tourist uh, location, so we get plenty of people coming through just 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 to see the grounds and 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 look at the Abbey Church and so on. Would you mind um, sort of walking us through what a typical day is like? Okay. I, you know, I'm wondering about, yeah, um, both when classes are in session or not, I suppose. Okay. That's, that's sort of easy in a way because it's quite um, regulated, uh, regular. Um, so uh, we, on, a, on an ordinary weekday, we would get up at, um, at 5 to 5 uh, and have lauds or morning prayer at 5.15. Mm-hmm followed by a time for private prayer, and then Mass at 6.30. That's a community Mass. Everybody is there. Uh, and then um, and after that uh, comes breakfast. Then, uh, for the mo- then there's a period of time which most people use for spiritual reading. And then at 8.30, work would start. Work would be like perhaps teaching a class classes in the school or being a student in the school, but also working in the kitchen or working on the farm and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so work goes from 8.30 till shortly before midday prayer, which is at 11.55. And that's, again, a, a community exercise. Everybody is there. And then um, after midday prayer comes our noon meal, which we call dinner because it's the main meal of the day, uh, and followed by a recreation in common. We have a recreation room where, where we go to play cards or 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 just a chat. Mm-hmm. Then, um, uh, then the afternoon starts again with another period of work at one thirty uh, uh, until until close to vespers, uh, which is uh, vespers, which is evening prayer at five thirty, uh, followed by supper at six. Then a gap for dishwashing and stuff like that, and then vigils or nighttime prayer at seven fifteen. And that's followed by uh, another period of common recreation. And then at nine o'clock, a bell goes for nightly silence. So from, from that nine o'clock bell until after breakfast on the next day, you, you have to be observe a, a very strict silence. Mm-hmm. And can I ask um, these prayer services through the day that you mentioned, uh, lots yeah. and midday and vespers, um, if I've participated in the Liturgy of the Hours at my church, um, are they similar to that, or is it a is it a unique structure to your monastery or to your order? It, they're similar in the sense that there are psalms and scripture readings and prayers and so on, but uh, the actual um, choice of psalms and readings is a bit different uh, from the Liturgy of the Hours that you that you get from the you know the four volume set that you can buy in, in a bookstore. It's a uh, it's 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 uh, after Vatican II, each monastery was allowed to sort of develop its own uh, adaptation of the rule of St. Benedict uh, with regard to, the, the, to that, and, uh, and each monastery has its own system of saying the Psalms. So you mentioned, you mentioned a bell at 9 p.m. Uh, that signals silence for, um, an, until after breakfast. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wonder um, if, we can, if we can bring it round to the main topic of interest to some of our listeners. Uh, where else in the ba- day uh, would we be hearing bells? Okay, so um, 
bells go uh, are, are are our bells are to call people to worship so they they're 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 before each of the of the of the uh community exercises of 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 the of of mass and the divine office so the bells we don't ring bell we don't ring a bell for lauds in the morning because that would be too early for some of our neighbors mm-hmm. but we do ring at 6:20 before mass for for the 6:30 mass and then we ring before the each of the other hours, uh, midday, uh, vespers, and, and vigils. Uh, but for, for the most part, those are just a single bell. We, we do change ringing. We ring uh, a touch of five minutes before Mass every day, and uh, on Sundays for 15 minutes, and also on Sundays before vespers at, for 15 minutes, we do change ringing. But otherwise, it's just a single bell that's rung. And and what sorts of things are you ringing? You know, most most of us come from towers where we're teaching different people different methods. Uh, some people might be working up to a particular project or a, or a quarter peel or, or trying to learn a new method. Um, what what does what does change ringing um, in this setting? Uh, how does it end up playing out? It's it's very simple because uh, it's only monks that do the ringing, uh, and so the. Uh, there's not much, and it's only for five or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we've basically, we're concentrating on plain Bob and Grandsire, and we have done Stedman over the years, but uh, that's out of fashion right now. Okay. Uh, and, um, and, so, um, and so we never do, we, as a community, we've never done quarter peels or peels, but only, those have only been rung by visiting groups uh, uh, who are on holiday or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got some change ringing, like you said, short touches going on um, before the right. the daily office and before mass and and on Sundays. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, you know, I I grew up Catholic and I'm a practicing Catholic now, um, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't remember ever hearing anything about change ringing or really anything more than one bell ringing in any that church I visited or in any class I took in college. Um, what's the What's the history of English style change ringing, um, or, or what of it do you know um, of it right. intersecting with the Catholic Church? Right, it it hasn't intersected very much, as you probably know. The it's basically an Anglican thing uh, in terms of religion. Uh, it developed in England uh, uh, when when the when the Church of England was Anglican, and uh, um, so only a few Catholic uh, places uh, you do change ringing. Uh, as it happens, there's one right in our neighborhood here in in Vancouver, the Catholic Cathedral in Vancouver. They do change ringing. Uh, the way it happened in our monastery was this: our first abbot, before he was abbot, went to Europe you know, after the first after the Second World War, and he was looking for bells. And so he he went to uh, he went because he was planning for the future monastery, the future location of the monastery. And uh, he went to Whitechapel in London, and they said, well, what kind of bells would you like, English or continental? And so he just said, oh, yeah, English, please. And without knowing too much about <laughs> what that involved, uh, and, uh, and, and that's how we got into change ringing here. And, and when was that, do you know? That was, so that was in 1948. Uh, the bells uh, arrived in 1951, but the bell tower wasn't built until 1957. 
And so that's when they were, so before that they were on the ground, in their frame on the ground, and they were chimed. We have a chiming apparatus, uh, but they didn't, we didn't start changing until they were installed in the bell tower. Mm-hmm. And then, do you know how those early um, how those early monks learned to to ring changes? How did you get to the point where you've got a obviously a, a stable band um, ringing? That's right. Yes. So uh, so as I mentioned in Vancouver, there there's change ringing going on, and they uh, various kind gentlemen came from Vancouver to teach the monks, mostly mostly English, like uh, uh, Ted Lee and. Uh, uh, I, I I didn't know them myself, but though that that's the name that that sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. And you've you've taught many um, many of the monks to ring. Is that right? That's right. Yes, yes. I I've been I've been uh, ringing since since I was uh, in the novitiate myself, and eventually I got put in charge of of the bell ringing. So I've been involved in teaching. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And and I'm wondering in that in the regular daily schedule, um, when have when do you make that time to teach people to ring or to practice um, a method, or is it is it all those you know four five to fifteen minute chunks a day um, when you can get someone to put their hands on the rope for the first time? So uh, we use we use the period between uh, eight thirty and nine o'clock in the evening uh, when. When you can leave the recreation, but the nightly science isn't yet on, and 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 that's the time when we when we practice and instruct uh, for 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 practice that is say practice for those who are learning to ring mm-hmm. uh, for for regular we don't have regular practices for the for the band, but if if they, if they are they're on on a Saturday morning or or early Saturday afternoon. And of course, you know, putting your hands, I'm sure there are many people who can only dream of being able to go up to their tower four times a day, um, <laughs> five or six days, a week, you know, go, going in 20 to 30 times a week, even if it is only for five to 10 minutes. Um, right. You, know, you really, really let something soak in over the course of a week that way. That's, that's right. That's what, that's, as I say, it's, it's limited, but it's, it's, it's constant. And, and the reason is the, uh, is the purpose of it, which is to call people to divine worship. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I didn't know mm-hmm. before we started this that you taught specifically history of liturgy. Um, and I wonder mm-hmm. if um, you can tell us anything about how bells specifically, um, but but even the different ways in, in which music has played a role in the liturgy, but really, you know, how bells have played a part in the history of calling people to worship, being part of um, people's worship, um, signifying a particular special moment within the worship. Um, what's what's the long history of bells in the Catholic Church and in its worship specifically? Okay, I I can't give you. I haven't got up the details of it, but the general picture is that uh, from early on there was concern for signals for worship. Like Saint Benedict in his rule mentions, uh, is quite concerned that there be a proper signal for worship. But when that became to be tower bells, uh, isn't isn't clear to me at any rate. But it took place in the Middle Ages, in the in the uh, um, time after Saint Benedict until until the 13th century or something like that. It, the, there were there were bells used in the Western Church uh, to to signal to signal worship, and that was the that was the main purpose of them. But they were, of course, also used for other things like signaling dangers and 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 and, and joyful joyful occasions and so on. 
Uh, as far as bells used during the liturgy, uh, that also developed in the High Middle Ages, um, in the uh, 13th, 14th century, where the most important point of the Mass, the consecration, uh, was was signaled by a little bell in the in the uh, it, it, it rung by one of the servers, uh, because at that po- point many people. Uh, because the service was all the mass was all in Latin, uh, people didn't, uh, and because they, it was often behind a screen, mm-hmm. people didn't uh, know what was going on, and so the the bell was a signal that this is the important moment. This is the where you have to pay attention, so to speak. My uh, my son is an altar server at our local parish, and you know, every time he leans down to to ring, they've got the you know, little set of four bells on the cradle. Um, uh, at the mm-hmm. consecration, you know, I, I, it it just delights me to think that this is, you know, something he's doing that has been carried through for you know, millennia. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, different. Uh, the Eastern Church has a different uh, relation to bells because they were for often uh, under Muslim rule and couldn't use bells. But nevertheless, uh, like in the Russian Church, they have a, a strong tradition of bells for for signaling for worship too. And then there's the the bells that you're using to call um, call people to prayer or to worship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's. I, I wonder if you've got some some reflection on how that sets a stage and and how that sets a tone, um, if you'll pardon the the pun, um, <laughs> for what is about to come. Um, I think it's it's very simple. It's just it's just a, a loud musical noise to 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 alert. Uh, alert people um the uh, uh the whole history and tradition of hearing bells sort of becomes part of the life of 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 the of not only the people that are ringing the bells but also of the of the community that they're that they're calling and so the uh, and so it has associations uh, I've off, we've often had people come here who are from England, let's say, and when they hear the bells, they say that really gives a sort of tug at my heartstrings because it, it reminds me of my childhood or, or, or whatever. So there's a sort of social and cultural aspect to it as well as, as the purely religious. Yeah, I've I've heard people describe it as you know it's the it's the sound of their childhood or it's the sound of their you know, campus if they learned at a school or it's the sound of their village. Right. So you mentioned that uh, occasionally ringing ba- uh, visiting bands come through um, and will ring things. Um, if if a band were traveling up to the Pacific Northwest and, and wanted to visit the Abbey, um, whom should they contact or how should they get in contact with you? So they could certainly contact me. I, as I mentioned to you in my email, I'm not actually ringing at the moment because of an eye problem, but uh, but I'm, I'm the contact person at the moment. Uh, contact me or just contact the Abbey uh, general uh, phone number or email uh, which you, and, and or look at the Abbey website, which is uh, westminsterabbey.ca uh, because we're not the same as Westminster Abbey in London. Of course. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, um, uh, and just, just ask. Um, another, the usual way actually for people to come out here is that they make contact with Vancouver ringers first, and then they they help them to get to get out here because we're a bit out of this out out in the countryside. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a there's a typical question that I, I I like to wrap things up with, and I wonder if it's going to be a little bit antithetical to to the the metaphorical interpretation of the vow of stability. But what I usually ask people is, what are you what are you working on, or what's a, a goal in your ringing, or what are you working towards? Um, is there is there something in particular that the the group there, or um, you personally as a as a ringer and an instructor of ringers? Um, are looking to improve or change in your own in your own practice? Well, what we're looking to improve is our striking, <laughs> and uh, uh, because uh, because we don't get that much in the way of practice, and we get sort of into a routine and so on. Uh, but uh, we don't have any projects in terms of uh, of of, of um, court appeals or anything like that. Uh, uh, I think uh, w- when we get um, at the moment, most of our our ringers are. Are relatively new. the The older ringers have 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 mostly uh, um, sort of retired from that, and so uh, I think the new ringers are more enthusiastic. And but they're still learning the, the the few methods that we do, and so. But eventually, some new methods will will will, will come in. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, Father Robin, it's been great having you on Troubles Going. Thank you so much for talking with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Once again, that was Father Albin Riley from Westminster Abbey. On our next episode, we'll hear from Kathy Booth. If you're listening to this episode when it's released, then the North American Guild's AGM starts tomorrow, Friday, October 9th, and runs through Sunday. It's an all-digital AGM this year. I hope that means more people can make the trip, so to say, to catch up with friends, try some online ringing, or hear an interesting talk. This year's presentations include... Recruiting for Diversity and Excellence, Recruiting and Retention, and Ask the Tutor Session, Plans for Redesigning the NAGCR Website, a Pub Quiz, a Review of Unsuccessful Tower Proposals, a Discussion of Ringing Room, and I'll be sharing a session with Kathy Booth of Fun with Bells, the Central Council's Ringing Podcast. All the information you need to register and to plan your session attendance can be found at the North American Guild's website, NAGCR.org. I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, friends. But, but in, in fact, of course, you are also calling the monastic community to worship, and, and so we continued ringing. Right. And, um, and the, uh, uh, the, now, now, now the, the church is more open. It's, not, it's still restricted by the government, but... Mm. Uh, but uh, but people can come now. But anyway, we ne- we never stopped ringing.